Okay, church, we are in Matthew 13 as we go through this section of Matthew. And we're going to come back to the parable of the soils today to talk about primarily the fourth soil, the soil that heard, grappled with, or understood the message and then produced fruit. But the passage is Matthew 13, verses 18 through 23. So hear the scripture. This is the explanation of the parable of the soil's by Jesus. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, and he indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. May God bless the understanding of his word. Well, just a few weeks ago, the U.S. women's Olympic uh, soccer team won the World Cup. They defeated the Netherlands two to zero, or if you're a soccer person, I guess it's two to nil. Uh, there's a young woman on that team, incredibly gifted athlete, very articulate spokesperson, and uh, who, who before this World Cup started, she decided she was going to kneel during the national anthem. And she wanted to carry that out during the World Cup, but the U.S. Soccer Federation came forward with a ruling that said, since you represent the United States, we ask you to stand respectfully during the playing of the national anthem, which she did. But she said, I will stand, but I will not sing the national anthem or place my hand over my heart. Um, and the rest of her teammates sang the national anthem and placed her hand over her heart, and she would stand there and just gaze into the distance. Now, there was a lot of articles written about that, and um, many of the articles said that this shows an incredible lack of appreciation on her part for a country where she had wonderful training facilities, where she had nutrition 24, 365 every day, where she flew around the world at the expense of Americans who gave money so that she could play before international audiences. And she was somewhat, in many places, said this is a lack of appreciation. I'm not, I'm not here to talk about whether that was a right or wrong approach. But as I read that and thought about that, I thought about this passage. And basically, my statement is that if you this morning claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you claim that you believe that there is an eternal God who made the heavens and the earth and made mankind in his image, and you believe that God spoke through a particular group of people called the Jews, and he brought Messiah in through the Jews, and the Messiah fulfilled the promises of the Old Testament, 
by dying on the cross for your sins and he rose over death and his name is Jesus and he ascended into heaven and he's poured out the Holy Spirit upon his people and he's given us a revelation called the Bible and then he prays in heaven for us and one day he's coming again to call history to a close. If you believe all of those things and you find yourself to be indifferent, somewhat, then, then, then your lack of appreciation compared to that athlete's is 1,000 times more severe, in my opinion. Maybe 10,000 times more severe. Because I, I believe this passage says that, that, that the one stabbing truth, as I said last week, is be very careful how you hear, ponder, and apply the word of God. And you say that in, in contradistinction to the Pharisees who are busy earning the favor of God and bragging on each other or themselves to one another and they missed the kingdom of God by a, a country mile. And they were arrogant and they were uncaring. And Jesus says, don't hear the word like that. And so as, as I look at this, just a few preliminary statements then how to be a, produce fruit, okay? A few things. Number, number one, there are four soils in this passage representing four different types of responses or four hearts. And I would argue, and some, I would, I would argue that these soils can represent various responses to the word in the life of one person, certainly in my life. See, the, the four soils, first of all, is, is, is the seed that fell upon a, a path and the person was kind of indifferent and the birds came in and snatched it and took it away. And Jesus says, that's what the evil one does. He snatches the word and takes it away. There's another seed that fell on very limited soil where there was rocky growth underneath and it sprang up and it appeared to be going for it, but then it just withers. It just withers away because of different issues in the life of the person who received it. And then there is the soil that good soil, seemingly good soil, and it springs up and it develops a root system, but, but then some weeds grow up and they slowly intertwine around the plant and they slowly choke it. And in this passage, Jesus says, the things that choke it are the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. And I would say to you that that's been my experience at times. Sometimes, quite frankly, I have been indifferent. I hear the word and I go, oh, well, no big deal. Snatched away. Sometimes there's unconfessed sin in my life that keeps me from seeing the reality of Christ clearly, whether it's anger towards someone or resentment or I'm having a bad week with my, my bride or lust or just kind of feeling like I'm not appreciated. All these things, it just kind of, it can, it can wither your soul. If it's not confessed, it can wither your soul. And sometimes in my life, there, there's been worry and the desire for other things, the pleasures, it says in Mark 4, or the desire to have more, and that can just choke the word. And I tell you, that is the experience of the vast majority of Christians. So I'm, I'm, let me tell you, if you're a young believer or you're not a Christian yet, some people will say to you, man, if you just follow Christ, everything will be so much better. Yes and no. My emotional state and my love for, for people for the Lord is like, it's like, a, it's like this. Hopefully it's trending up, but it's like this. 
And that's why I have to examine myself. I, I, I love the song we just sang in here, God, you're so good. But I wrote down these words. One of the stanzas says, and, and should the life bring suffering, I will remember the goodness of the cross. God, you're so good. See, I would, and, and should the life bring suffering? I'm saying life brings suffering. There's no conditional statement there. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 8 that we groan in 2 Corinthians. We groan, which means we, we just cry out in agony, longing to see the reality of Christ, longing to see the glory of heaven. We groan. Listen, there will be suffering. In fact, sometimes uh, I'm an older guy, and I remember some of the things I sang when I first became a believer when I was 19, and one of the songs that we sang, we sang so many silly things. Man, it's really silly things. But one of them goes like this. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. He's, he's the one I'm longing for. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. What a lie. Balderdash. We're, we're like this, guys. So somebody says to me, how you doing? Every day I'm getting bigger and better in every way. They're lying to you. Or well, they may be getting bigger. I don't know about that. But I mean, but, but, uh, I mean that's just this. There are emotional ups and downs. that We have to deal with stuff in your own life, and you're just broken, and you're just going, ah. So, so there are four souls, and I think these souls represent me and you. To a degree. The third observation is this, is, uh, is that the father is looking for and expecting fruit. But the father, he saves us. He's looking for and expecting fruit. Ephesians 2, a well-known passage. For by grace are you saved through faith, and it's nothing you have done. It's the gift of God. It's not of works so that no man can boast. Amen. So good to know God saved us, not because of what we do, but because of his mercy. Amen. But then verse 10 says this. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Wow. There's a little statement in the bulletin from something called the Westminster Confession of Faith that says that fruitfulness is a sign of our faith. It edifies our brothers. It builds up the church. It gives us the assurance of salvation and joy. Hebrews is about, Hebrews 6 is a very difficult passage. It's about people that appear to be believers, but they're, they're there for a while, but then they just kind of fade away. More about that next week. But listen to verse 7. It says this, for land that drinks the rain that often falls upon it and, and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it is worthless and close to being cursed and ends up being burned. So thorns and thistles. But then verse 9 kind of says, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So what am I yielding? Christ says, don't lose your saltiness. James, another difficult passage. James chapter 2 talks about fruitfulness. And it says this, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can such a faith save him? And the answer is no. 
Keep on reading. Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, barren, useless, thorns and thistles, no salt. Verse 22, you see that faith in Abraham was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. Verse 24, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. You say, wait a minute. I thought as children of the Reformation and children of the Scripture, we believe you're saved by faith alone. Absolutely. What James is trying to say is you're saved by faith alone, but the faith doesn't just reside alone. It produces fruit. The Father is expecting fruit. The Father wants fruit. Fruit is a sign of our salvation. Next preliminary point. In this passage, Jesus says that as we hear and understand and grapple with the truth, will produce fruit. And then he says this. And if you, if you were sitting there as, as part of the crowd, as Jesus is on the boat, speaking from the Sea of Galilee, and you're a farmer, or really anybody there, understood this is to be absolutely unbelievable. Jesus says uh, he, he indeed bears fruit and, and he yields, in one case, a hundredfold, another 60, another 30. And you're sitting there going, wow. See, if you're a farmer, if you have a tenfold increase, that means 10 times more than the previous year, that is call the, the record office for the Guinness Book of World Records. This is unbelievable. 10 times what was out there, boom. But, but Jesus says, listen to me. If you hear, grapple with, and produce, it'll be sometimes 30, and you're going, unbelievable. 60, you're going, fantastic. 100, and you say, unfathomable. And I read that, and I know it's an overstatement, but the Father wants to use us. The Father wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And as we do that, to be able to speak the word to other people, to love our enemies, to pray for those who use us, to, to care for those that society says are the refuse of society, to go against the stream. He wants us to produce fruit in us at 30, 60, 100. So all soils are represented, I believe, in most of our hearts. So let, let's talk about how to hear, understand, and, and produce. Six quick points. Number one, Scripture is given to awaken and build. It awakens me to my need, my brokenness, his beauty, and as that happens, he builds me. He strengthens, he encourages families and churches and community groups. He awakens to his beauty, his glory, his goodness, and my need. And, and then he builds us. I was watching TV the other day, just thought of this, and uh, there was an advertisement for a university. I've never heard of the university. But it shows a very attractive young woman driving her car, and obviously this, isn't, this is done with a clear marketing strategy. And she says, you know, I want, to go, I want to go to school, but I want to go to a school that appreciates me as much as I appreciate me. I'm going, what does that mean? What does that mean? I mean, I mean those of you that might be going to the Citadel, don't try that line when you check in, Okay. I want you to appreciate me. What does that mean? But that's the culture we write, we're raised in. I want to go to a school that appreciates me as much as I appreciate me. I don't know what that means. But see, what I'm saying, when you really get in this book, you're awakened to 
brokenness. I'm broken. And you're awakened to the beauty of the triune God and that he builds. And I said last week that 2 Timothy 3.16 is the awakening verse. All scriptures give by inspiration of God. And it is profitable for, for doctrine, for reproof to correct bad doctrine, for correction of my life, and for instruction in righteousness, how to go forward. Verse 17 is the build verse. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So this is the word of God awakens and builds. Now, uh, I don't want to say this too often, but I really am enjoying being a granddaddy. If I knew being a granddaddy was going to be this much fun, I'd have tried to make it happen years ago. And um, our oldest grandchild is, will be four in September. And so when I'm with him, I started trying to do the catechism. So this past, past time, I tried to do the New City Catechism for children, questions one and two. And when he comes to visit us in a few weeks, I'll try to get three and four in his brain. But questions one and two, let me just go over. His name is Gideon. So question one, what is your only comfort in life and death? Now, again, it's kind of a heavy question for a four-year-old, but I know he's got to understand everything. And, and, and not, not quite four. He says, my only comfort in life and death is that I belong to God and he loves me. Question two, who is God? Answer, God is the creator of everything and everyone, or everyone and everything. And I thought, you know, if he gets that in his, little, in his brain, that God is a great creator God and has made the vast universe, galaxies, and he's made all these people, their, despite their economic, their ethnicity, their, their physical abilities, their intellect, he's made all of these people in the image of God. Therefore, every person I pass is worthy of respect and Christian love. That's huge. It will build him. It will build him. Question three is, What is God's nature? And the answer is God is triune in his glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, that's pretty heavy for a 65-year-old, much less a three and a half. But then question four is this, is, is, is how and why did God create us? Answer, God created us male and female in his image for his glory. And I thought, you know, if you can get those questions down in your mind, it's going to answer 90% of the questions thrown to you in life. I believe that. Then you grapple with the glory of the cross and you're, man, you're hitting, you're hitting it hard. So, so the word of God, listen, it, it, this book will awaken and it will build you. You want to answer the big, big ponderous questions of life? Be here. Think out loud with other people. Here. Number two, the soils must be prepared. This is, this is going to be hard. I'm just going to say it right. This, I want you to hear this. It's going to be hard. Kind of, sort of. The soils must be prepared. We talk about a definition for a disciple. A disciple is a forgiven sinner who is constantly learning Jesus in repentance and faith. So it's ongoing. I base it in the work of the cross, the work of the Savior for my sin, a forgiven sinner who is constantly learning Jesus. You never stop learning this side of heaven, and even heaven, I think you learn, constantly learning Jesus 
in repentance and faith. Repentance and faith are ongoing. Repentance is turning from sin and running to the Savior, running to the cross. And faith is having a glorious vision of the goodness of who God is and living based upon that. So all these things are, are ongoing. And so therefore, the soil must be continuously prepared, the soil of my heart. Now, in Hosea, as a book in the Old Testament, it's about a group of people who have turned from the reality of the living God, and Hosea is calling them back to repentance, 800 B.C. And this one, just a few verses in chapter 10, says, Israel is a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built to foreign gods. As his country improved, he improved his pillars, worship places to foreign gods. Their heart is false. Now they must bear their guilt. So God is saying, you know, I, I bless them. And instead of turning to me, they, they built altars, altars to all these gods of the nations. And they built pillars to foreign gods. And then he said, here's his remedy, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness and reap steadfast love. Break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. And I, and I read that and I go, you know, my heart must be prepared. I must break up my unplowed ground. You must break up your unplowed ground, i.e. repentance and faith. It's ongoing. There's unplowed ground in every heart here from time to time. And so, so God says, you know, break up your unplowed ground. See, the, the theme of Hosea is chapter three, verse 16, verse six, excuse me, 13, six, says, when I, when I fed them, they became satisfied. And when they became satisfied, their hearts were full and they forgot me. See, prosperity and success is a difficult thing to have. Therefore, God says, I fed them, they became satisfied. When they became satisfied, boom, forgot me. And then started building altars to foreign gods and pillars to foreign gods. And I say to you, is your ground broken up? Have you plowed up your unplowed ground? Whatever it is, are you dealing with these things? Bitterness towards someone, an unforgiving spirit, lack of purity, anger. They're there. So one of my favorite guys in the Old Testament is a guy named Jehoshaphat. First of all, I just think it's a really cool name. I think that's a great name, Jehoshaphat. Josephat was the fourth king of Judah after the kingdom split. He became king when he was 35 and he was king for 25 years. His dad's name was Asa, who was a, pretty much a godly guy on a scale of one to 10, he was about eight. Josephat on a scale of one to 10 was probably a nine. His grandchildren, his children though were reprobates. But this is, you know, Josephat kind of tailed off at the end. And as 2 Chronicles deals with the life of Jehoshaphat, this is what it says. He was 35 when he became king. He reigned 25 years. He walked in the way of Asa, his father, and did not turn aside from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. However, the high places were not taken away 
the people had not yet set their hearts upon the God of their fathers. So, Jehoshaphat, God to God, did well. However, he didn't tear down the high places to foreign gods. He let them remain so the people could go to the high places and do their thing. And I, th I thought about this as I read, I, th I thought, you know, I, I pray that in God's kindness as we get older and as we die, that they say, you know, she was a pretty good woman. However, and she was a gossip. He was a pretty good guy. However, he wasn't always faithful to his wife the way he acted toward other women. They were a pretty good couple. However, and I'm just saying, there are howevers in every life here, brothers and sisters, mine included. That's why you have to continue to repent. I told you this is hard. The third thing about the soils is that humility is central to soil preparation. Humility is essential. So I, we should be anxious about receiving the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit and how desperately needy we are. Isaiah in the Old Testament, it talks about the type of man that God esteems, the type of man and woman, and he says this in Isaiah 66, I think it is. Um, Heaven is my throne, Jehovah says, and earth is my footstool. What is the house that you should build for me, and what is the place of my rest? All, all these things are my hand, my hand is made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Humility. I think of First Peter. Peter's talking about office holders and Peter says about, about, about elders and pastors, chapter five, verses one to four. And then he talks about the general younger, I think younger population kind of sort of. He, he says, likewise, Verse five, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Listen to them, heed their advice. Uh, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another, understanding that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Humility, James, real quick, James chapter four, starting in verse six, says this, but, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to the Lord. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 10, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. You say, I don't know, I'm resisting the devil. You're teachable and you're open to brothers and sisters who can speak into your life. I need you guys. See, that's what, I, I love Sunday. I mean, I, I love to come here and um, see people that have ju they're just going for it, and, and it's tough, and I know it. Or to see young people. And, and they're trying to raise their family in the way of the Lord. To see single people who are being, being earnestly faithful to the Lord. I mean, I leave every, I leave energized. Energized. We sing these songs. We quote scripture. It's just, I, I, it, it helps me focus. I mean, that's why God gave us the Lord's day. Focus. To prepare. 
for the week to go out and make an impact because we are an army, not an audience. We're being prepared to go out, speak it, live it, and, and, and produce fruit. Humility must be central. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to keep the man's name anonymous, even though you could look it up. But I'm in a group called the Gospel Coalition. I get together with some of these guys usually once a year. And some of the men that I sit in the same small circle with are well-known, godly men who've written wonderful things. And I'm honored to sit there and listen. I very rarely even speak. Um, so anyway, but there, there's a guy I met about maybe 10 years ago. And we started hanging out a little bit. And he's a big guy and he loves sports and he loves to laugh. And I thought, man, I can hang out with this guy. And we did. And I told my brother, who's... I said, I told him, I, I met one of these guys. He said, are you kidding me? You know him? I said, yeah, why? I said, I listen to his broadcast every, every day, basically. He's got a nationwide broadcast. I didn't, I didn't know it. I didn't really know it at all. And then I got to know him. He has had a large, prosperous ministry. And, but as I got to know him, um, I noticed that if you agreed with him, he was good. If you didn't, he was kind of miffed. We got together for a pastor's conference in Asheville where he was speaking. We spent a couple of meals together. And it just, I thought, you know, he's, he's, and then we had a small group, about 50 of us. And the guy leading the group may be the finest New Testament scholar in the world, the world. And he was presenting a paper and kind of in the middle of the presentation, he, he interrupted this guy, which I thought, and said, you know, I don't understand what you're saying and we're dying here of boredom. And I thought, whoa. That was really arrogant. That was really arrogant. And a couple of people admonished him and came back and said, I shouldn't have said that. And then, then a few months later, he had this radio broadcast. He entertained people on his radio program and embraced him as brothers. And one of them, people he entertained, had a very weak, if non-embrasive doctrine of the Trinitarian nature of God, which is kind of key. And so some people tried to correct him gently and he pushed them aside, and when they tried to talk to him more, he just resigned from this council and did his own thing. And then um, started hearing about it, lost contact with him, that he's having troubles with the church, and he had um, developed a lavish lifestyle that the church supported. He had a pastoral spending account of, I think, $200,000, which is unbelievable. By the way, mine is 2000 so don't, don't be too concerned. And um, the, the, the church bought him this huge house. And when some of the elders started looking into it and speaking, he publicly admonished the elders and asked them to leave the church, and they did, and it just kind of fell apart. And he had to resign in April or February, resigned his church, and now he's suing the church for more money, and he's under investigation for something that, if it is proven true, will land him in prison. And I say that as a cautionary tale. I think the main issue with my friend is just pride. The soil of his heart wasn't, the chief, one of the chief ingredients was not humility. And it was, it was his undoing. So the, one reason we should long for the power of the Spirit, and here the word is, I say this frequently, it's probably not something I want to be remembered for forever, but listen to me. You are one dumb decision away from blowing it. 
And if you sit there and you're saying, well, I've got it all together, nothing's going on. You, you, according to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 12, you're very close to the precipice of falling. So, okay. Are, are you learning Jesus in repentance and faith? Number four, there are four soils. So, do you hear the word and it's snatched away from you from indifference? Do you hear the word and your soul withers? It withers because there's no root. Do you hear the word and it seems to be doing well and then, and then things just choke it? Does it happen to the best of us? Or are you producing fruit? Number five, there's a pattern here. You hear, you understand, you produce. You hear, you understand, you produce. You, you hear about the glories of Christ. You, you, you grapple with them and you produce. I brought this little book up here. I mentioned it last week, The Confessions of St. Augustine. I did it just to kind of, in part, I want to read from it, but I also did it to, to say to you, if I can find my place where I was, uh, to say to you that you, you, can, you can read this. It's, see, you read four or five pages a day, you can knock it out in three months and it's worth it. But this is, he, he writes, he died in 430, so listen to this, a guy named Augustine. He writes this, this is so good. Our, our good ever lives with you, from which when we turn away, we are turned away to destruction. Let us now, O Lord, return that we may not be overturned because with thee our good lives without any decay because you're good. I'm going, good grief. I wish I could say things like this. You are good. May we return to you because with you our good lives without decay. Do you want your good to live without decay? I do. Run to Christ. It's amazing. And then he says the next book, book the, the fifth book, he says this. Um, and there with thee is refreshment and true strength. Do you want refreshment and true strength? I do. I think it's found in Christ. And so I look at this. The, the pattern is you hear it and you grapple with it. You ponder it. You think through it. And, and then you produce fruit. I go back to the question I'm trying to teach my grandson. How and why did God create us? God create us in his image, male and female, for his own glory. If I can get that down, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. What a statement. So number six, very quickly, challenge. You are creating a culture. Guy named George Barna has said this, culture is the accumulation of behaviors motivated by core values which characterize a group of people. What are the core values in your friendship group? in your community group, if you're married, in your marriage, in your parenting? What are the core values? God is eternal, unchanging Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has made mankind in his image. God has intervened in human history as declared by and prophesied by the prophets in the personal work of Jesus, his only son. He rose victorious over death after being crucified and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. He would call history to a close. I am called to be not just part of an audience, but an army to make a difference. These things are core beliefs. This is who we are. When a question hits us, we ask, what does the Bible say about that? Not what is the cultural zeitgeist or what is the opinion of the year? Because those things change. So, so, what kind of culture are you producing?
See, every family here, I'll just talk to families, every family here is producing a culture. Every family, every friendship, every group of people produce a culture. Oh boy, I want a healthy culture. Just personal statement. I was just with my mom and dad Thursday and Friday morning. And uh, if the Lord gives them life until August the 28th, they will have been married 71 years. Wow. And basically, you know, all marriages struggle, but a, a pretty happy marriage. I went up my, with my dad about five years ago, took him to breakfast, and he said, son, I just don't understand your mama. <laughs> I said, well, dad, you've been married almost 66 years. Maybe in the next 66, God will give you full understanding. But I, I look at them, and they're tender with each other. And I get to get my brother, who's two years younger than me, and a better man than I will ever be. My brother's incredible. And we'll just talk about our family. And, and the culture of our family, it wasn't really a gospel family. We went to church, but didn't get the gospel. But it was a family of stability and love and encouragement and, and tenderness and laughter. And as we've grown older, we have stood back and looked at the immediate siblings of my mom and my dad. And in the immediate outer circle, we have suicides, plural. We have a, a first cousin who's our age who died of a hair, basically because of heroin addiction. We have another first cousin who was a professional gambler who was married five or six times. We have rampant alcoholism. We have children, listen, children abandoned abandoned. I mean, that, that, and that, that's, and that's just some of it. There's other stuff I could go into. And, and you go, and we step back and say, how, how were we in this little oasis? And here's, the, we had a mama and a daddy who said, we're going to guard the gate and we will not let these things be part of our makeup. Now, again, I wish Jesus would be part of that, that they didn't know. You are producing a culture. And I'm telling you, if you want to produce a culture that is lasting and brings joy and brings productivity and brings hope, you let the Word of God awaken in your heart the beauty of Jesus and the depth of your brokenness, and then you let it build you. It builds you. It builds you. And part of the building process is repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. Break up your unplowed ground. Mm, okay. I'm going to pray now and then we'll close. Let me pray. I'm supposed to pray now for a group of people going to Indonesia. Are they here? Maybe they've already gone. I didn't know it. <laughs> so let's, we're going to pray for them. Okay, let's pray for them. Lord, uh, thank you for the... We've had teams, I know, we've gone to, so, to these places. They've been gone to Bangladesh. They've gone to Thailand. They've gone to Bali. They've gone to... Mexico, they've gone to the inner city of Atlanta and North Charleston and they've returned saying the gospel was communicated and people listened. We pray the same for this group going to um, Jakarta. That they would speak the word and love people and care for people in the name of Christ. So have mercy upon them and upon us. May we be people who hear and understand and grapple with the reality of Scripture in Jesus' name. Amen.